Amen. If you would remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Romans 12, 11 through 13 today, we're going to be reading uh, 1 and 2 for context as they, uh, all the verses following 2 flow logically from that introduction. Hear the Word of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, so as you're thinking about this text, uh, you you might uh, wonder, you know, I, I think it's a fascinating point here as we're in Romans 12, to think about what really sets a Christian apart from everyone else, as you're, as you're considering that, uh, what is different, and I, I believe that uh, what, what we have in this text is a, uh, a very descriptive uh, uh, picture of what it is that is different about a believer. The text gets at the importance of what's inside us, right? If you look at verse 11... It speaks of, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So it's, it begins with this uh, looking inside and internally, our, what is your hope? What is your desire? What do you want? What are you fervent about? What keeps you up at night? What gets you up in the morning? What is driving the, the car? What is driving you? Uh, what is it? What is your engine? And what is interesting about that is that's not something you can actually manipulate necessarily. Uh, what, what is in you, what you desire to do tends to be pretty static. You are who you are. This is your spirit. This is your heart. This is your inner being. And it says be fervent and zealous, desirous in that. Uh, what Paul is getting at here, the author of Romans, is uh, it would flow that someone who has known the mercies of God, as 1 says, 12.1 says, uh, you would be eager to present your whole self as a sacrifice of worship, but a living sacrifice, not one that's killed, but one that lives for God because the sacrifice has been made. You've been redeemed. You've become righteous. And so uh, you, you are different from the world, as 2 says. You're no longer conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so here's the thing. Your desires, your feelings, and everything are tested and driven by God and His mercies. That sets you apart. And, and, and you and I test those desires and emotions and feelings. We are not uh, subject to our feelings. As we said, none of us can change what we desire. We don't have the ability to do that. That's, for, that's above my pay grade. Uh, you know, the question is, what do we do with those desires? Do we follow those desires? Do we listen to those desires or do we not? Depends on what those desires are. 
He, he's, his, what he wants here in this fervency of your desires is he wants you to be on fire with the good ones and not the bad ones. But how do you know the good ones? Well, they focus on serving the Lord. So it's like, it's like all this enthusiasm. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, no one's looking at man like, oh, man, I can't wait to be so excited about serve the Lord. Like, so, like, it's just like be, be so fervent, zealous, serve the Lord. It just doesn't seem to follow that, that that's something that we get excited about serving, right? Uh, some, of, some of you might not. Uh, you know, to think about this in this way, um, you, you can't really tell sometimes who is a believer and who is not just by looking at the outside, right? If you look at the Dead Sea from a distance, it looks like a nice body of water, right? When you get in it, it's full of salt. It's dead. Nothing lives in it, right? It's absolutely horrendous for, for life. You know, you can look sunshiny and, and, and with splendorous to the outside world, but, uh, you know, bitterness and saltiness can be inside. You know, externally, don't trust what's, what we see all the time either. We don't want to trust what's inside. We don't want to trust what's outside either. We want to trust what God says about us, right? So, so you think about how people change and what affects us. You know, time changes us and our desires and how we feel. You know, you, you maybe don't feel the same you did as you were older uh, or younger, uh, and then uh, yeah, time changes us, but it, time itself doesn't just make us holy. It doesn't just, you know, magically sanctify us. Uh, decaying uh, changes us, like growing older, but doesn't break the power of evil within us. We may trade one lust for another lust. We're frail. We have errors. We have all these issues that affect us and our emotions, and we have evil habits that we exchange one for another, uh, but the, the, the situation in us is that the old man in us remains until the Holy Spirit changes who we are. And that's, what the Spirit, that's what God's been telling us in Romans. Our external influences will influence us, right? Our fashion influ influences us. You know, you wear different stuff than the guy reading this in 1500 B A D. Uh, you you're wearing different stuff than than uh, the guy originally reading this letter and carrying this letter. Your, your fashion influences how you feel. Your, uh, the example of your friends will influence us, right? That's one thing that influences your emotional well-being and your zeal, zeal and desire. Your society will influence you. Uh, your, 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 how excited you are will influence you as well. Uh, your business influences you. What kind of business do you do? Are you a student? Uh, are you uh, a, an entrepreneur? You'll feel a little different. Uh, are you uh, a worker, the boss? How are you uh, employed? Uh, who and what we love or like influences us and, and affects us and our emotions. Uh, our sorrowful and sad experiences influence our emotional well-being and our, our feelings and our zeal. Uh, what we're dreading in the future may impact us and how we feel. You know, we're not looking forward to you know, how we are personal, personally and our personality will impact how we feel. And so all these things are, are real and our feelings are deep and, and they're influenced by all these factors beyond us exactly, right? And so when we're, but we're, the, the point here is that when we are naked before God, who we are is that, nothing more and nothing less. No mask we put on, it's who we are. Uh, we, is there, are there accusations of sin against us or 
Uh, are we covered in Christ's righteousness? And that has been the theme of Romans. Who are you in Christ? Are you in Christ or are you not? We're not the same old guy with a few modifications because we've, we've made a few tips. We've taken some tips and kind of corrected ourselves. We're a whole different person in Christ. You know, so as you think about this, I, I'm, con- I'm constantly baffled when I go to places uh, I, I see people, and I, I mean, if you go to a back-to-school night for us with high school or middle school or elementary, there are hundreds of people, and it seems like zero people want to know anybody else. They just want you to get out of your way so they can get along with their thing, and, like, no one cares who's there. Like, there are hundreds of people there, and, and no one ever asked me anything about myself. It is insane. Because uh, yeah, generally... I, w- I don't think we should trust anybody because we're all about ourselves uh, at, at base. When, when, uh, when I, I, didn't, I didn't want my parents to get in my business when I was a, a kid, and sometimes as a parent, I don't want my kids to, to be around. I'm just like, I wish they weren't here. Like, you know, like, so like, because I could do what I want to do. You know, I, honestly, because I have a tendency to be pretty self-interested and selfish. And as you think about that, are we really to trust what we feel and all the impacting things about us and how we are interpreting those things through our radically self-interested lens, well, I would argue that the only way we're ever free from that is if Christ has set us free. The old man's dead and the new man has come. And so I tell you, when my kids uh, arrive or appear, I'm not always like, get out of my face. I'm, sometimes I'm like, hey, on my best days, I'm like, how can I help you grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Sometimes I am like that. Because that is a miracle. That is a work of the Spirit in me. And sometimes when my wife has a, a complaint or a, a something helpful to add to, to, to something I've done, sometimes I receive that very poorly, and sometimes I receive that very uh, graciously. You know, it just depends on how I'm feeling at the moment, right? But the capacity to actually view that as a gift from God to help me grow in Christ is something that is unique to a believer, Right? To have an other's focusedness is unique, and a feeling and a desire to serve other people is only found in someone who is in Christ. It is bottom line not there in anybody else. Okay? Now, I want to make that clear. In a video uh, promoting uh, Caitlyn Jenner's intro to the world in Vanity Fair several years ago, uh, she was interviewed, he, he was, Jenner was interviewed. As, as soon as the cover comes out, I'm free. I'm free. And that's a lie. <laughs> he, she, none of us are free because a cover comes out. None of us are free because of makeup, dresses, photos. We are all in bondage to ideas, a world puts on us expectations of what freedom is and is not, and our own distorted ideas about what is good and evil. To have a, uh, the, the title hero and accolades placed on someone who lives according to feelings is a dangerous world to be in because people feel a lot of things that are not okay, and that's a really bad place to be. So fulfillment 
in us is not just trusting our feelings. I, gotta, I cannot pound that drum enough. I have to distrust my own feelings. Fulfillment is just around the corner. You're looking for it. You feel it. You feel your life may be better when you get in charge of your own destiny. You feel like you'll be happy if you can just make your reality match your feelings. And that's, that's absolutely dangerous, toxic things to breathe in. The culture says in order to find yourself, you need to look within yourself, look within your feelings. Uh, you, know, you know who else says that? Darth Vader, right? He says, look in your feelings. You know it to be true. I don't know if that's the Jedi or the Sith. One of them. They're both bad. Okay, so C.S. Lewis says you can't get second things by putting them first. You've got to get f- second things only by putting first things first. Feelings come after beholding the mercies of God in Christ and the resolution now to no longer be conformed to my my old patterns, but be conformed to the new way, the new man. That's where feelings flow from. Feelings must be put under subjection into who God is and test and discern according to his will. Culture says you have to be yourself. Sexual desires are crucial to personal identity, they say. And curbing those desires can lead to psychological damage. I beg to differ. Curving my sexual desires is oftentimes a good thing. Yeah. Like, saying no and not yes all the time is a good thing. Not being led by my feelings and my desires uh, and not letting those things come first but be second things, right? Culture says that. I've got to actualize my desires. My self-fulfillment must be based on my feelings. Anything else is inauthentic. Well, hold on, wait a minute. My feelings change. I went through a a country phase. I went through a stoner phase. I went through, I mean, all these, like, like a a rock guy phase. Like, I mean, like, who, I'm trying on different identities, different feelings. How do I, does that make you feel? And I'm like, what in the world should I trust myself about my identity? You know, Christianity cannot locate its personhood in its, any kind of desires. Christianity locates its personhood in who we are in Christ. And my internal feelings may not always match up with that. And I can't make those things ultimate. How I'm feeling about myself is not the master. What Christ says about me is the master, is the truth. Christians are to be people of feeling, though. Fervent, zealous. But those feelings are birthed by gospel hope, which governs and mobilizes our lives to serve and meet others' needs. We feel deeply about serving other people. The biggest apologetic for the church and Christianity in general has often been, look at those Christians. They're always running into, the, into all the people that are hurting and helping them out. You know, they're doing good things because they care. You know, so, so they're serving out of this compelling necessity to demonstrate Christ's mercy that they've received. So Christians go out looking to meet needs according to God's revealed will, not according to cultural values. So there are needs, don't get me wrong, but the cultural values don't determine what the needs are. God's revealed will determines what the needs are. We listen to what God says we need, and then we go and seek to meet those needs. A secular person comes in saying, meet my needs. 
meet my needs. And I'm absolutely happy to meet needs. But not just the felt need, but the true need. We preach an unpopular gospel to people that tells people who are dirty and unfit for God that they are, in fact, dirty and unfit for God. We're not going to clean it up at all. We say it exactly as it is, and then we say that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became dirty and unfit as you. He took on your sin that you might receive his righteousness through faith. It's a gift. Anyone can get it. Anyone can believe it. Anyone can embrace it, if you will. It's a call. That's the calling. We preach that unpopular gospel. It doesn't make us popular. We confess that we were the same in the same boat as needy, dirty, unfit sinners when God called me and called you. We were enemies when God loved us, as Romans 5 says. Our temptation is to give people what they want, what they feel they need, what they think they want, an easy gospel that doesn't tell us we're so bad. We can't forget the main thing, though. The first thing, oh, we're not going to serve anybody. We're going to serve ourselves. Our emotions and our feelings and our desire not, must be driven by this reality that we found the greatest treasure we could ever have found, and we sold everything and bought the field. We're all in with this. We found the pearl of great price. We found Christ. He's found us. And we can't forget that main thing, or we're no good for anybody. The world doesn't understand or appreciate holiness, but the good news is that God effectually calls sinners and we will witness to holiness, and those that see it will be confronted by God and repent. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 14, 24. It says, if all prophesy an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. It comes through truth. It comes through objective reality, spoken through the Word of God. And people will hear it and fall on their face and repent and say, surely God is here. And the, in the same chapter, verse 33 of 1 Corinthians 14, it says, For God is not a con God of confusion, but of peace. He's not a God of confusion. He, the, the gospel is so simple, a child can understand it very well. The gospel is very simple. It's not... It's not, you don't, it doesn't take multiple advanced degrees to understand this. Here's what it is. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You don't need to reinvent yourself. You don't need to get over something that you're struggling with. You don't need to do those things in order to be perfected. Jesus did that once for all by the offering up of himself. It is done. He is sufficient to perfect you for all time. You may walk into glory and into eternity with all these wounds and all these uh, battle scars that haven't healed up and they're never going to heal up until the glorious day of His coming again. But He is sufficient to perfect, perfect you no matter where you are, no matter what you've done. Neither I nor anyone else has that capacity to perfect ourselves, but Christ does. It's certainly not by following or doing what I feel within. I'd be completely lost if I followed myself. Christians place the order right. Faith in Christ precedes all works, even our zealous feelings, even our desires for saving other people. In Romans 4, 4 and 5, it says, 
to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, right? Nothing can give our neighbor, nothing we can give our neighbor exceeds that truth. That our righteousness is not by anything we do, but is through believing. All right? In this gospel, we're set free from an unforgiven state. We cannot miss or mess that up. It's not that we are delivered because we have done enough or felt the right things. It's that we are completely separate from believing and doing as it regards the gospel. And that they're separate. Our doing and our believing is separate. All of our doing and being is tainted by sin, is corrupted, and is placed on Jesus, and his perfect righteousness is placed on me by faith. We are who we are, in fact, completely apart from anything we feel. Nothing I feel has anything to do with my eternal destiny or my identity. Nothing I feel has anything to play in that. You cannot believe a more pernicious, awful belief than your feeling determines your status with God. No. It was objectively accomplished before you did anything. God chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. As as Ephesians 1 says, the Son laid down His blood, poured out His blood for the forgiveness of your sins. You weren't there for that. You didn't feel that. You weren't even born yet. And then you couldn't feel it. You couldn't hear anything good about it until the Holy Spirit changed your heart, gave you life to hear it, gave you ears to hear it. This all had nothing to do with your feelings. Zero to do with it. And you know what? It's not because you start feeling better about it or feeling worse about it that you could either gain or lose more of it. It's established. It's fixed. It is what it is. It's by a one-time perfect sacrifice that Jesus laid down for you. It's, it's that. That's it. Nothing you feel does that. Jenner uses the language of justification. Once this cover comes out, I will be okay. I will be whole. I will be at peace. That is the language of justification. We have a world that is looking for justification in all the wrong places, in how we feel, on how we have been, uh, you know, affirmed or not affirmed. Nothing anyone can say to you or do to you can, can, can disestablish what Christ has done for you in the gospel. His once for all, laying down his life as a sacrifice. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 3.28. In Romans 4.6 it says, As David speaks of the blessing of the one who, to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works, uh, he speaks of this. Our justification is not in us. It's not upon what someone besides me did. It's what he felt for me. In John 6, Jesus' opponents say in 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Not that you feel a certain way, not that you have enough zeal, not that you serve enough, not that you do anything else, but believe in him whom he has sent. They ask that they might have favor with God, but without God working favor, then they have nothing. Uh, you should see on the, on the PowerPoint, uh, uh, the next slide, it's, it's just uh, it's a, it's an inflatable tree. You know, it's a, it's a blow-up tree. You know, it has no roots. It's just hot air. It's easily blown away. 
It's easily knocked aside. A tree in general is very sturdy. A tree, as you know, is hard to take down. You know, you have to chop it down. You have to pull it out by the roots or it keeps growing back. There's things like this that a tree is strong. This is a tree that is inflatable. It's full of hot air. It's easily moved. A person without Christ is easily moved. A person even in Christ can be feeling like a person outside of Christ and easily moved. We go back to this order. Number one, therefore, in light of God's mercies, we start with Romans 12, 1, and we don't ever think about emotions or feelings or zeal or service apart from that. In light of what God's done by his merciful offering up once for all a sacrifice to make us perfect in Christ, God has done it. Justification has been accomplished completely apart from us. And we, like trees, have to have roots if we're going to go anywhere. Our root is justification. But when we grow out of that justification, we're going to bear a lot of fruit. We're going to serve. Like I said, we're different than the world because we have received so much. We want to give so much away because God loved us. As you consider the freedom you have, I want you to think about this great analogy, I believe, from the Harry Potter saga. Whenever there's a, a problem, whenever there's a, a bad guy, whether it's, uh, you know, Draco Malfoy, Crab and Goyle, Dolores Umbridge, uh, Cornelius Fudge, if Harry and Hermione and Ron need to get out of trouble, what do they go to? They go to the cloak, the invisibility cloak. It hides them away from all the trouble. It hides them away from all the trouble. If you know that cloak, you know everything you need to know. That is an image of the righteousness of Christ. It hides you away from trouble. It hides you away from the wrath of God. You are complete in Him. We're protected by His perfection that covers us by faith. God looks not upon me, but He looks upon a substitute who covers me. He deals with me not by my sins, but on the basis of a sin bearer for me. The challenge is for me to not let my feelings of guilt or even confidence be the first things, but to be the second things. And that's a challenge. There's, there's danger for us who put on Christ to feel the emotional zeal and fervency is the thing that determines our standing with God. You know, as we think about all that we do, we have all this treasure in Christ. We have the robes of Christ. We have the, the infinite amount of treasure that we have in Christ. We walk in to a high school cafeteria. We walk in the halls, and we have everything we need in Christ. And this, this is the one thing that frees you and me up to have a concern for the needs of others. We don't go reacting to needs. We actually go looking for needs because all of our needs are actually met in Christ. There is nothing we lack. That's what the Scriptures teach us. Nothing we lack. Now, false religion, like the power of positive thinking, uh, you know, is, is all just motivational speakers masquerading as gospel preachers, uh, and they're not delivering the goods of, of the gospel of grace. They're just manipulating us. They're saying, hey, you need, to, you need to not be like those other losers out there who aren't motivated. You need to go out and do something strong. You need to be motivated like those guys. You need to be uh, emotionally uh, wicked up in their frenzy here. Churches look at emotion being a thing and feelings, and they're like, hey, what we need to really do here is put a really powerful musical score behind this gospel and, and really drive it home. 
You know, like if I made a point and there was a big, like a, an organ playing in the background, just jamming the point home, you might feel that. If you've ever seen a movie, you know that, that music really is important, how you feel it and understand it. Well, we can play on I can make you feel something for a moment by manipulating your emotions through music or other instruments, but we stand upon the bare word of God, this message of a sacrifice made once for all by the mercy of God to change us and to perfect us. That is what sets us apart, not how we feel emotionally. It's the law of God unable to, unable to save us, but Christ did what the law of God was unable to do and incapable of doing by his own self so that sin has no dominion over us anymore. We are different. We want to serve. We want to pray with that fervently. And we want to meet needs hospitably. All these guys in the olden days had all these problems where they had to have people come to them. And if they were a visitor, they had to have a place to stay. We got Airbnbs. We got hotels. We got all that covered. Okay. We're the richest country in the world. Like our, our, I mean, you got, you got debts. Here's $10,000. Here's $20,000. We got more money than we know what to do with, guys. We got, we're taxed more than anybody that, that's probably been in the history of the world. We have so much money. It is insane. We have nothing to worry about if you think about our wealth. But we have the good news. That is the, the, the deficit. The news that is deficit. We don't know the news about Jesus. And that's why we're lazy. That's why we're slothful. That's why we're distracted. That's why we don't serve anybody. We're so focused on ourselves because we need the gospel. So I think that, you know, we've got all these unknown desires in us every day of our lives with all these issues that, that would separate us from God. But the key thing is if we look at ourselves and we like, if we screw ourselves, we're like, there's no way I'm worthy of this. But in Christ, I am worthy. And that changes everything about me. I have this invisible cloak of merit. And that love that God's given for me produces love in me. Let me close with one thing. From, from Luke 7, 36. This is a great story. It says this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's home and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that, she, that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed her feet, or his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money leader, lender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more, the one with 500 days' work or the one with 50? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, to whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. Uh, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, 
which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but, you, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to highlight one thing about that text. He just will not spare the feelings of Simon. He dressed Simon down in front of that woman and all the people in that house and said, how dare you look at, look at her when you didn't even kiss my, you didn't give me a kiss. You didn't give me anything for my feet. You did nothing. What a hypocrite. And that's exactly what I need to hear. You and I are hypocrites. And when we really internalize just how greatly we are forgiven, love will flow. Love will flow. The order is everything. First things first, and the order comes. We will be the most hospitable, serving, praying, zealous people in this land if we know that story. But we can't live on borrowed capital. We have to know this story. It has to be our story. We must see ourselves in it. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to bless us. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that this body of sin might be brought to nothing. We ask that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, but that we would be set free from sin. That we would live according to the mercies that are given to us. We ask that this gospel would be full and free within our hearts, reigning and ruling. Lord, we ask that you would give us this, we ask, for your glory.